0: I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work... You get closer and closer to the point within the circle. A sonic muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Yes. Welcome back, brothers. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. This is Masonic Muscle, I'm Cesar Rubio, and if you're wanting to find me, you can find me and listen to me on Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, iTunes, Overcast, CastBox, and Stitcher. And if you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you took one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify, it helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with all the California Masons that are out there and the extended family of Masons that you think would get something out of it. Word of mouth is the primary way Masonic muscle grows and spreads. So please help me to grow and spread the show. Also, help me to grow my Masonic muscle and yours as well. So please, text a brother, a mason, send out an email, however you communicate, tell them to check it out. Thank you for your continued support. And now on to the show. And for you masons from the East Coast to the West Coast, have you been studying your ciphers? Have you been studying the EA Fellow Craft and Master Mason Study Guides? Have you been digging into the mysterious origins of masonry? And more importantly the mysteries of masonry you heard me right have you been improving your spiritual moral and masonic trestle boards have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your physical fitness masonic fitness your spiritual fitness one degree at a time have you improved the quality of your physical nutrition your mental nutrition your spiritual nutrition have you if not why not? When would now be a good time to start this improvement of your body, mind and soul? I'm just wondering. You know, some of us just need that gentle pat in the back of the head with a hammer or in our case a setting mall. I was just reading through my cipher And I found something, and it's written in plain English, so I can share it with you all. And I came upon this sentence, and to yourself, by such a prudent and well-regulated course of discipline, as may best conduce to the preservation of your corporeal and mental faculties in their fullest energy, thereby enabling you. Enabling you to exert talents wherewith God has blessed you. Prudent and well-regulated course of discipline. What does that mean? Now in this day and age, there has been so much study done that when we hear that, I believe the majority of us will automatically go to the physical right? Uh, get, get physically healthy. In the military, it incorporates the physical and the mental aspects. In the religious aspect, I think about the monks, Catholic monks, Catholic priests, and what that means. Because they have to study, both study, and also pray, and also fast, so that's the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects. And it's a prudent and well-regulated course of discipline, which I don't believe you see too often in a lodge. You could argue that with me. You may not. I don't know. But anyhow, I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to delve into that. I just wanted to touch upon that right now, starting this, this episode, this show. Don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but maybe it's just that. prudent, A prudent and well-regulated course of discipline. Yes. Yes. I just... Shared with you, I don't know what podcast it was, that the Grand Lodge of Texas just had their annual communication starting January 18th, and a lot got done from what I can understand. I haven't reached out and spoken to <clears throat> uh, Dennis Yates and Justin Jones from the Masonic Improvement Podcast. They've been filling us in on that you know, for some time, and they've been you know, letting, letting us in on a little bit of what happened and how it went down and the buildup to it. And one of the things that they won, they, one of the things that the Master Masons or the attendance of that Grand Lodge communication, what they voted for, and it was unanimously or I almost unanimously passed, was the admission of alcohol into lodges again, back into the lodges. I don't know at what point. Texas became a dry state as far as masonry and no alcoholic beverages allowed into the lodges. But it started to become more and more evident that more members wish to have that reintroduced to the lodges. And of course, it's up to the lodges themselves. Just because it's been approved doesn't mean that the lodge, all lodges now are going to have alcohol or anything like that. No, there's There are specific things, requirements to that. But overall, yes, they can have it now. Good on you, Texas. And what I wanted to do now is read just a little about beer and where that might have come from because, hold on a minute. Because beer seems like has been with us for a long, long time. And I'm going to read from a book that I got a while back called The Beer Option. It's not what it sounds like. Well, maybe it is, but not really. And I'm going to start off by reading just the first two pages. Because there's some fascinating things in here that I believe will pique your curiosity. And it starts like this. Beer is a drink composed largely of water, acquiring its quality and taste from malted grain, typically barley. It contains a moderate level of alcohol, normally ranging from 4 to 6%. Yeast metabolizes the sugar content of this malt into alcohol during fermentation. It is usually flavored, containing hops for bitterness and preservation. But many other spices and flavors have been used through the millennia. We distinguish it from other major forms of alcohol, wine made from grapes, cider from apples, mead from honey, and hard liquor, which uses a process of distillation. Some have remained the same for 5,000 years, namely beer's main ingredients of malted barley. Other things are newer, such as the introduction of hops as the main flavoring in the Middle Ages. It was not until Louis Pasteur that the secret role of yeast in making alcohol was discovered. How about that? Beer has been an important part of human culture from the beginning of recorded history. The story begins with barley, the marrow of men, as Homer opined. Barley is a hardy grass, which grew wildly and abundantly in the fertile crescent stretching from the Holy Land into modern-day Iran, as well as in some areas of North Africa and further east in Asia. It was domesticated about 10,000 years ago and has been a staple cereal grain, the fourth most consumed today. Although barley was used to make bread, it is, the coarse, it is coarser than wheat, more flavorful, and its seeds have a full hull. Although the lighter wheat eventually won out as the key ingredient for bread, barley is the chief brewing grain for one reason. It malts easily and completely, creating the sugars necessary for fermentation. There's an interesting note down at the bottom which says this, There is no consensus on the origin of the word beer. Now, you Trivium discussion group devotees would appreciate this because we're getting into the origin of the word and where it came from. The name may come from the Latin word biberé, to drink. And biberé, in Mexican, we still use the word beber. Bebida, still in use. Moving on. To call beer simply drink reflects its central role in culture. In Northern Europe, in the Middle Ages, it was, even, it was the drink. Even though "bibere" is a Latin word, the Romans preferred the word servicia, which they borrowed from the Celts, probably referring to the word soup. St. Isidore of Seville, 560 to 636, in his etymologies, there we go, had his own idea of the origin of servicia, attributing it to the series The Goddess of Agriculture. Others have suggested a Proto-Germanic origin from the word barley, bio leading to the Old English word bior. That was one of the notes. Now moving on. How did our ancestors discover brewing? No one knows for sure. But either hunters and gatherers or early farmers must have stumbled across malted barley that had spontaneously fermented. As beer is so ancient, some wonder which came first, domestication of barley or the discovery of beer. If the discovery of beer came first, some wonder further if beer stimulated human civilization by pushing our ancestors toward the domestication of grain. Regardless of its exact origins, it is clear that beer emerged alongside human civilization. Did you just catch that? It said that if we discovered like how to make beer, that that was like the stimulus to become better and create civilization so that we could domesticate this grain so that we can have beer all the time. That's what I took from it so beer makes us better. Civilization began with the rise of agriculture as nomadic groups learned to grow barley in the ancient Near East. Eventually, they put down roots and began to form villages. Usually, we would think of the invention of bread as tying these groups to the fields, but we have now found very ancient archaeological evidence of beer production from the residue inside clay jars. Chemical tests confirm the existence of a rice beer dating to 7,000 BC in Jiao, China, and barley beer from about 3,500 BC at the Golden Tepe Archaeological Site in the Zagros Mountains of modern-day Iran. I wonder if that's close to Gokobleki Tepe. The latter site shows cultural links to the Uruk culture of Mesopotamia, possibly linking early beer production to the cities further west in that fertile crescent. Mesopotamia and Egypt The earliest brews are prehistoric, but with the rise of civilization in Mesopotamia, we have evidence of beer through the world's oldest writing, cuneiform. We actually have a Sumerian recipe, which was made by putting barley loaves into pots of water and allowing them to ferment. It was then consumed in a large open vat with straws. The oldest description of brewing can be found in the hymn of Ninkazi, the Sumerian goddess of brewing, dating from 1800 BC. It describes the use of bapir, the twice-baked barley bread used for brewing. You are the one who handles the dough and with a big shovel, mixing in a pit. The bapir with sweet aromatics, dates, and honey. You are the one who bakes the bapir in the big oven, puts in order the piles of whole grains. You are the ones who waters the malt set on the ground. The noble dogs keep away even the potentates. You are the one who soaks the malt in a jar. The wave rise, the waves fall. You are the one who spreads the cooked mash on large reed mats. Coolness overcomes. You are the one who holds the bonds, both the hands, the great sweet wort, brewing it with honey and wine, the filtering vat, which makes a pleasant sound. You place appropriately on a large collector vat. When you pour out the filtered beer of the collector vat, it is like the onrush of Tigris and Euphrates. Adding honey and grapes were important to stimulate fermentation as they naturally contained yeast unlike barley. Sumer also gives us the world's oldest surviving epic Gilgamesh, approximately 2000 BC, which makes a reference to beer in its passage on the civilizing of the wild man Enkidu. Enkidu knew nothing about eating bread for food and of drinking beer he had not been taught. The harlot spoke to Enkidu, saying, Eat the food, Enkidu, it is the way one lives. Drink the beer, as is the custom of the land. Enkidu ate the food until he was sated. He drank the beer, seven jugs, and became expansive, and sang with joy. The world's oldest work of literature of literature seems to testify to the role of beer in forming civilization and taming the wild man to eat and drink like a civilized man. See, brethren, when we do drink at Lodge, we drink like a civilized man. Beer also shows up in early to, uh, early law codes, including Hammurabi's, wow, which stipulates death to shopkeepers who overcharged for it. Yeah, hey, come on, can't we hey, spread the wealth, spread the love. Make beer obtainable and reasonable for everybody to buy so that it can gladden the heart. It has also been hypothesized that cuneiform tablets inventory in beer contributing to the development of counting methods. So again, because of beer, it made us... Reach out and become better. Man, we got to figure out a way to count all this beer so we can charge people and figure out how much more we got to make. We got to figure out some kind of calculus, some kind of formula. Beer, again, making people better. Beer also played a prominent role in Egyptian culture. It factored prominently into both Mesopotamian and Egyptian mythology and even ritual, indicating its significance. The Egyptians claimed that Osiris himself introduced the art of brewing. We also have Egyptian recipes, some of which have been recreated from hieroglyphic descriptions. Like Mesopotamian beer, it was thick like porridge, necessitating the use of straws, and was often flavored with honey, fruit, and other spices. Beer was a central part of the Egyptian diet, but was valued as medicinal, And is now thought to have included antibiotic qualities. I also believe that beer is medicinal. It, uh, if I have one or two beers, it, especially the German beers that I like to drink, because they're made with higher higher quality than they are here in the United States. It like settles my stomach. It even helps stimulate. Maybe you know helps you go to the restroom. The key is. In its correct proportions. Moving on. Beer also served in Egypt as compensation for workers. Ah. What were some of the wages of a fellow craft mason brothers? Five liters of beer were given as daily wages for workers constructing the Great Pyramid. Those are awesome wages. We have a good idea of the brewing process due to a miniature discovered at the tomb of Meketra. He was vizier to Pharaoh Mentotep II from 2050 to 2000 BC. The Metropolitan Museum and Art in New York, which holds the piece, describes the scene. The overseer with the baton sits inside the door. In the brewery, two women grind flour, with another man works into dough. After a second man treads the dough into mash in a tall vat, it is put into tall crocks to ferment. After fermentation, it is poured off into round jugs with black clay stoppers. The importance of the beer in Egypt can be summarized through a hieroglyph, inscriptions from about 2200 BC, which states, The mouth of a perfectly contented man is filled with beer. What do you guys think about that? And again, why am I reading this? It started off with me reading one sentence, right, or a paragraph, but having to do with a prudent and well-regulated course of discipline. And from what we're reading from the history of beer and the creation of beer, they developed a prudent and well-regulated course of discipline to make the beer, to continue to brew it, to figure out a way to count it, to keep up with the demand of it. And it's even stating that the brewing of beer and the creation of beer and the invention of how to continue to make it in the amounts that they need it in order to satiate not only probably the royalty but a common man made them elevate their game, become better, and possibly stimulated our desire to create a civilization that would help us domesticate the necessary wheat and barley to continue to make this drink, which probably later spilled over into the creation of wine making, and then the harder drinks. Uh, you know, it looks like Asgardian mead. Well, I say Asgardian, but the mead made from honey, Germanic's that all took a prudent and well-regulated course of discipline. And if we relate it to you, California Masons brothers, what kind of prudent and well-regulated course of discipline have you employed to begin to help you improve the quality of your Masonic education? especially if you want to help improve the quality of the Masonic experience at your lodge. Here in California, we can have alcohol in the lodges. There are stipulations to it, so you got to read it. You got to ask questions, and they're going to jump through hoops, and they're going to say yes and no, and the only way you can, and yes, we can have it, but no, not really because of this. So read your California Masonic code. Ask questions of your grandmasters representatives, which would be your district inspectors and AGLs. Get a clear answer. And if you brothers decide that from time to time you want to raise a glass, especially during Oktoberfest, really guys, you're not going to try to celebrate Oktoberfest with raising a glass, Uh, whether it's at the lodge or a local brewery? And then you never wonder How this drink is made? Really? Man, the mysteries are endless. And it sounds like from what we just read, from what literally we read, it also helped improve whatever rituals they were performing. And we just talked about the Mesopotamian and Egyptian. We did mention a little bit of Ceres, you know, and the, the goddess of agriculture, of the Greek... But the Greeks, is well known that they borrowed from the Egyptians, so it's, you know, it's a spin-off. But even they understood the power of the fermented wine, uh, grapes, beer, and other drinks. And they even went so far as to the Greeks and the Romans to put specific amounts of opium into their wine to make it that much more potent. But that's a whole different story. Again, have you been studying into these mysteries? What do they have to do with Freemasonry? That's up to you. I just presented some stuff for you today. That's up to you to continue your studies, continue to explore, because there are mysteries of Freemasonry all throughout the first, second, and third degrees. The installation ceremony of officers, you can go on and on. And some of them were put there deliberately. Some of them, I think, were just by accident. Uh, They just, they were put in there. But again, if you remember, one of the first questions you were asked was if you freely and voluntarily offer yourself as a candidate for the mysteries of masonry. And you all said yes. Yes including myself. But have we actively together as a Lodge, along with your Lodge leadership, have actively explored what those mysteries of Masonry are? Ask yourself that. And if not, why not? Begin to figure out a way to do that in a way that's worthy of exploration together in a lodge of masons. All right, brethren? So with that, I leave you. With that, I I encourage you to continue to exercise, continue to study, continue to make it happen. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of some doing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear, with the sound of the instructive tongue endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom and hopefully some good will towards exercising get out there and get your walking in open up your ciphers study memorize and just do it